Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt land. Tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Misses from the Underground. I'm Maria, otherwise known as underscore Roxy underscore on Twitter. I'm here with Dee Dee, known as Dust Daughter on Twitter. And today, hey. yeah, and today we're going to we're going to uh, recap and discuss episode six of season two of Underground entitled Minty. <sighs> Any words you want to say about this before we get into the recap? Because, wow, this is an episode like none other. It's just the full hour of the show of uh, uh, Aisha Hines as as Harriet Tubman just giving a speech for a whole hour and it was amazing, phenomenal, transportive, transformative, all engrossing, just simply superb and amazing. She needs to win all of the Emmys for this. It, I mean it was just phenomenal. I just yeah. I don't know how they made managed to make one person talking for an hour this riveting. Um, just kudos to the writers. Kudos to Aisha. Oh, this was everything. This season is has been just amazing. Um, I had a moment where I was like, wait, this isn't actually Harriet Tubman, right? <laughs> Look. It was just so, I mean, it was, it was incredible. Must see TV. Yes. And yeah. um, The fact that they took this chance on a recurring um, guest star, Mm -hmm. not even a, uh, um, you know, a full member of the cast um, that they did this, like she gets the full hour. And they played it, they aired it at a special time so they could re-air it all through the night. Mm -hmm. Like, WGN really has put the weight, full weight of their network behind the show. Um, They believe in the show. And and it deserves it. Um, Whew. So, uh, I guess we'll just uh, get started. Got a lot to talk about. Um, I I I first watched this uh, with my friend in Inda Lauren. Um, you know her as the other half of Black Girl Squee, and she had a couple of insights that really um, helped me when I was preparing my recap. Oh. So um, shout out to her. Yay, Inda. Yep. Because <laughs> her eagle eye saw saw things that I didn't. So, um, just to, just to get, before we get started, I just want to, you know, say that, um, this, this hour is basically a speech that Harriet Tubman, um, played by Aisha Hines, gives to a group of white abolitionists. Some of them are John Brown's men. Uh, one of them is Elizabeth Hawks. 
and um, it's where when they're about to go to commercial in the show, um, it cuts to black. It doesn't fade, you know, seamlessly to black. You just see, you see black slam to black, mm-hmm. and um, then when you come back, she's continuing her speech. Um, so you'll hear cut to black a lot in, in this recap. And that's, that's what I mean by that. So the episode begins with this really intimate scene of, uh, Harriet alone. Um, she's standing in front of a full length mirror, uh, preparing, uh, herself for the day, getting dressed. And, um, the camera kind of zooms in and we see her, see her, um, she's only half dressed. She has her corset on and her skirt and she's wrapping her hair. Um, and you see the scars on her back very clearly. And, um, this scene kind of reminded me of, uh, that iconic scene in how to get away with murder with when Viola Davis takes off her makeup, takes off her wig, and she's kind of, you know, becoming vulnerable in front of the, um, in front of her uh, mirror in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. But this is the other way around. She's actually, um, as Inda said, she's putting on armor. She's getting ready to put on her armor as she gets in, gets ready to speak in front of these white folks. Mm-hmm. Even um, her, um, her, the top to her outfit kind of has military look to it. It does. It does. Um, and, and, and it, um, it kind of, it kind of works because she is called the general by, uh, John Brown and his men. Um, she calls him the captain. Yep. And, uh, uh, there's this great song, um, an unreleased song, uh, called Gossipium Thorns. Um, it's by an artist named Taurus Stinson. Um, and it's playing in the background and it has these great lyrics about freedom and, um, freedom. Has it ever been free? Uh, uh, broken sons and daughters, healings on the way. Um, there's a line about stolen chains for change, and uh, how the roots go deeper than the pain, and stuff like that. It's it's mm-hmm. really great. I wish I could have uh, purchased it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, please release it soon. <laughs> um, uh, so we we we've seen her getting ready, and then they cut to uh, inside the 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 event where um, all the audience is sitting down, uh, waiting for the guest of honor to arrive. Then we go back to Harriet's house, and she's sitting at a table, very nervous, rubbing her hands together, very anxious. And then she starts um, uh, to pray. And all through this, we hear this, hear that great song playing in the background. And finally, Harriet opens the doors to, um, to 
this place and um, walks up to the stage and sits down. Uh, and um, we see then they pan uh, over the audience and we see exactly how white it is. <laughs> and um, there, there are uh, a couple uh, people of color here and there, but it's 99% white. Yep. Then, um, then she take she takes a seat, and you see um, she's she on either side of her are these works of art, and they have price tags on them. Mm-hmm. So Inda caught that, and she was like, "Oh my gosh, is this an auction house?" Yes. That is a brilliant detail. Mm-hmm. And there are even other uh, posters around uh, that that stage talking about uh, selling items and stuff like that. So she is giving this speech literally from an auction block. Amazing. Amazing. Um, that The writing on this show is just, it's top notch. Top fucking notch. And uh, she sits down and then slam, cut to black. We see, we see the name of the show, Underground. It's about to go down. <laughs> so um, she starts her speech uh, with the way we see the world is affected by two things. What we know and what we believe. Mm-hmm. She says the first thing she knew was to be afraid of the white man. And I was like, should include women too. Mm-hmm. Um, as we'll see, we'll hear later. Um, two of her sisters were taken by a chain gang when she was very young. Um, but she said she wasn't young. She wasn't too young to, to feel her mother's grief. And her fear hasn't gone away, even now. And then she makes a joke about um, how weird it is to be staring out at all of these white folks. Mm -hmm. And they kind of do their awkward laughter. And uh, um, Harriet then says she grew up like a neglected weed, Mm -hmm. ignorant of liberty. And now that she's free, she knows how dreadful the condition of slavery is. She says it's the next thing to hell. Yeah. She brings up Uncle Top's Cabin. She says she's sure that the audience is familiar with that book, and they say they agree. She says, Miss Stowe's pen hasn't begun to, um, to describe what slavery really is. I found that like so said, funny. Uh, that just that just that sentence and like what surrounds it. So yeah. you know, you all have read this book written by a white woman about slavery who really don't know what she's talking about, but that's why you're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how that still happens today. I mean, it's shade. It's like it's like I remember um, uh, listening. Uh, uh, listening to this online talk about where um, women of color were, 
color we were mentioning that book lean in mm-hmm. and um it, it was a it was a group of women in tech and they were like yeah i read that book lean in it was cute <laughs> <laughs> that's what this is to me yeah yeah somebody read that book to me uncle tom's cabin it was cute Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like it's like abolitionist shade so um uh harriet says that she and the audience already know um you kn- know how bad slavery is and she says we of like mind then she says uh they want to know she knows that they want to know and hear how she escaped the odds and got free. But before she can tell that story, she has to make them understand what bondage was like for her. Mm-hmm. And this is when the, the, the writing gets, um, it just ramps up. It gets even better. Um, because she goes, she gives you all the senses. She says, bondage attacks the senses. Um, the taste of it was like uh, your teeth were made of copper. Mm. The fading stench of everybody sold away. Mm. And the look of it, every eye turned down to the ground, away from the horror. Um, she said her mother, and her mother is, was the real Harriet. Um, uh, as, as you know, her name was Araminta, uh, Minty for short. Um, she says her mama was the best at turning um, that eye down to the ground. Uh, she knew how to judge white folks' moods mm-hmm. and move through their space like a spirit. She says, you know, basically talks about her mother learning white folks, learning the ways of white folks, learning their moods. And, uh, you know, uh, and I'm just thinking, wow, we still we still have to do that today. Yep. She said um, her mama learned how to listen and remember secrets that might be of later use. Mm -hmm. And this made me think of Ernestine. Mm hmm. And, 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 you know, the things that she taught Rosalie, too. So, um, uh, uh, Rosalie and uh, Harriet had some similar experiences. I think, I, I guess I can see how they uh, worked well together and got along. Um, even though, you know, Rosalie's not a real person, but in, in the world of the show, right. it, it works. It makes sense. Um. Anyway, she said those lessons that uh, her mama learned ended up helping Harriet, little Minty, um, who became Harriet Tubman later in life when she was moving cargo. Um, she tells a story about being taken away one day, um, hired out to to learn how to weave for for Mr. Cooks and his wife. Mm-hmm. And the wife nagged and harassed Harriet and called her all kinds of names and urged her to work faster, but Harriet's little hands couldn't manage the work. And then she says, some might say that was of my own design, mm-hmm. but you'll never hear me say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that a lot. 
Yeah. And uh, and and uh, slowing work or had had been a way of resisting um, slavery, basically. Exactly. It's these little these little bitty pockets of resistance that you know help them get through. And um, she uh, grew to think of that of those little resistances as victories that um, felt like freedom. But she said, there ain't no such thing as triumph under the conditions of slavery. Just respite. Mm -hmm. Then she gets up from uh, her seat um, before she says, black folks, we know pain. Known it a long time. Says she has more scars on her body than she can count. And that um, the next lady that she was hired out to um, gave her a lot of those scars. Right. She talks about uh, being whipped with rawhide. Uh, And you can see Elizabeth in the audience. He just looks really shocked by that. Well, she might be remembering that time she was forced to whip her own husband back in season one. Mm. When... um, Journey Smollett's brother guested on the show for a week. (laughs) And kirked out on everybody. So, um, but yeah, um, and you'll notice from Mr. Cook's wife to Miss Susan, all all of these white women that were complicit Mm -hmm. in the brutality and, um, just hellishness of slavery. Right, because Miss Susan had told her to sweep and dust the room, but apparently she didn't do it to her liking, so she just kept whipping her without providing her any instruction. Yeah, never told her how. I'm like, how much do you want to bet that Miss Susan didn't give any instructions because she ain't never had to do no cleaning? <laughs> she probably didn't know how. To, to show anybody else how to do it. Mm-hmm. Until Miss Susan's sister came by, saw what saw what all these scars on her, and finally told her what what was going on, what she needed to do. But she, you know, she didn't like take her away or anything, or tell her sister to stop beating this child. Right. Anyway, so it's they still complicit. Mm-hmm. Um. So um. So, yeah, Harriet, um, whenever Harriet made a mistake, Susan beat her with rawhide. And then to emphasize that, Harriet slams uh, her hand down on the podium. And it's, it's, it's dramatic and, you know, it definitely gets everybody in the crowd's attention. Very effective. Mm-hmm. Great, great orator. Great orator we're seeing right here. Mm-hmm. Um so um, she said that every time that she got beaten, um, she never cried out. Mm-hmm. She said she learned how to love the pain. She said she took it as an opportunity for defiance, never giving them the reaction they wanted. And I thought, again, maybe that was freedom. But she couldn't reconcile why something as precious as freedom would come from pain. 
She said, there's got to be an easier way than that. Right. I'm with you. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, she tells another story about uh, when Susan argued with her husband and uh, Harriet just had to stand there um, with the eyes turned down and everything like that. Um, but near nearby there was this bowl of uh, sugar lumps and she was looking at that she wasn't thinking about this argument going on so while they were busy arguing she stole a lump of sugar and she ran as far as she could she didn't know where she was going all that she knew was that she had just stolen what joy that she could Mm. and to her that felt like freedom so, so we're getting this, this narrative and this pattern where she's experimenting and going through all of these different things, searching for just a little piece of freedom. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, she said, um, she said, this is when she tells everybody that uh, back then she was called Minty. And little Minty was the most rebellious thing. She took pride in um, being rebellious and mischievous because that means that they didn't own her in spirit. Exactly. She and, thought maybe uh, she, would, she said, uh, have to find her freedom on the edges. Mm-hmm. But then something happened, and it was something that split her life into a before and an after. And uh, the something that happened was how she got her scar. Um, The scar on her head. Um, She says she got it because she was worried about her hair. She was trying to fix her hair in the window of some shop when uh, some white man was uh, chasing after a runaway slave uh, and threw an iron weight in his, in that slave's direction, but it hit her. And she says that's when her after started. She said her spirit would go traveling and she heard a voice speaking in the language of the old prophets in its grand flow. Mm-hmm. I once again this the this writing is so great. I just the the writing it makes it makes um you know, black vernacular sound like Shakespeare almost. Yes. And it's great it sounds- because she's not, you know, she she speaks about uh, Frederick Douglass later and the things that he says. And when she imitates them, they speak in very different ways. Uh, but they're equally as commanding. Mm-hmm. Um. So I just love the way that they write these characters and I love the way they speak and it just, it really makes them come alive. Um, And it's just beautiful to listen to. Um, So um, um, back to the speech, Uh, Harriet didn't understand what um, this voice was saying at first, but then she realized it was the voice of God. She calls she doesn't really she doesn't say God, she just says it was the voice of him 
the bringer of all good things. She said that the voice was showing her what was possible. Um, once again, she says there ain't no negotiations on freedom. Um, so she was spending all her time knowing things instead of believing him, believing in them. So the first step to truly being free is seeing past all the things you know and believe in something better. She says that it, that it ain't easy, but that's the work that must be done. And knowing that, she was finally on her way to becoming a rebel. Mm -hmm. Then we cut to black. Um, when we come back, she, she pushes the chair up further toward the end of the stage, and she sits back down. Um, she says that just because she, she was believing now didn't mean that anybody else was ready to do it. Okay. <laughs> and she learned that um, uh, when um, after she uh, started hiring herself out um, to do work for others, she convinced her master uh, to let her do that because um, um, she was having all of these dreams about flying like a bird and she really believed that she should be as free as this bird even though she knew she wasn't um during this time she also married john tubman Who and then was yeah a dick by the way mm-hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah the worst um and in the winter she fell sick and um the master wanted to sell her because he was also a dick. Mm -hmm. uh, so then uh, she started praying. And that's when Harriet um, uh, gets out of the chair and she kneels at the front of the stage and, and, and starts to pray. She prays uh, for God to convert Master and change his heart. Mm. But while she was doing all this praying... He was still trying to sell her. So she changed her prayer. <laughs> she switched it up. You're like, this ain't working. I gotta do something else. Yeah. She's like, if if uh you you're not gonna change his heart, then please kill him and get him, get out, him the out of my way. Right. <laughs> uh, and he died a week later. That's all you had to say. Yeah, but when you know she says she says all that, and you can you see the look on her face. She's not proud of that prayer, or even though it worked. Right. Um, she says she would give all the gold in the world to bring his soul back, but she couldn't pray for him anymore because uh, she knew that not only was uh, God talking to her, but He was listening. Mm -hmm. She said, this be a conversation. Mm -hmm. You have to be she, intentional with your aim. Yeah. And she didn't want to waste none of this um, uh, on, on that man or just herself. Um, like she, like you said, she, um, 
She needed to be intentional with her aim, and her aim was to escape. So, um, so, um, while, you know, in the, like, aftermath just after the master's death, um, there was a lot of chaos going on, and Harriet believed that that was the best time for her and her brothers to leave. Right. And she tried to convince them to run. And they gave up after a mile and dragged her back. Which just kind of reminds me of Rosalie with those other other men. Oh. Mm-hmm. They're just questioning everything that she does or says. You know. <laughs> Ooh. That, oh, God, that was so annoying. Mm-hmm. Um. Harriet says that freedom fire, that ain't something that can be stoked in someone else. And embers ain't enough. She said it's got to burn like a wildfire and burn out all doubt. So she decided next time she was going alone. She got a little help from somebody that um, told her about a spot where she could rest. That was a long, um, the Underground Railroad. And, um, but she said that first step, and this is when she steps off of the stage and into, you know, just the space where all of the audience is sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that first step, that'd just be me. And she talks about journeying through the, you know, the wilderness of, uh, Maryland and um, saying uh, uh, crossing into Delaware was um, a little less easy. And uh, but when she crossed the line into Pennsylvania, she said there was such a glory over everything. Mm-hmm. And she starts and tears start welling up in her eyes and her voice breaks mm-hmm. and like even now she's just really emotional about this moment she says I looked at my hands um, to see if I was the same person I felt like I was in heaven I had crossed ooh. the line I was free oh god oh, that's when I started tearing up as well I know well, the first she says it she's choking up as if she remembers it just like it was yesterday and mm-hmm. it was one of those another watershed moment in her life Yep. But then, you know, as happy as as she was and as overcome with emotion as she was, she re- she she said there was no one to welcome me into the land of freedom. Uh, she said she needed her family because she said, you know, if I'm free, they should be free, too. Right. She was and she sounded yeah, she's sounding a lot like Rosalie right now, too. Um, I hope she really understand uh, Rosalie's desire to go back and try and get her family. Mm-hmm. She doesn't understand the part about Noah because <laughs> she's not she's not really trusting these men's no more. But um, <laughs> she understands needing her mama and her brother. So, um, Harriet says, uh, she's going, 
she decided to go back because activity in the calf capital was shifting the ground mm-hmm. and wasn't no place safe in the United States for me and mine. And then, and then we cut to black once again. Um, uh, when they come back from break, Harriet is pouring some water in a glass and she drinks it. So I, I love that how they give her these little bits of business to do, you know, just, you know, some of the, you know, an actor needs to move around and do little things just to, you know, bring, make the, make the character three-dimensional and everything. Yeah, so, um, alive because she's just sitting there not interacting with anything. It's not a complete experience. Right. And I love how she never stands. Does she ever stand behind the podium? No. This whole hour? No, she does not. But, I mean, that makes sense for the kind of woman she is. She got to be doing something. Something. <laughs> She's a woman of action. Right. Um, <laughs> so after she finishes drinking her water, um, she starts talking about Frederick Douglass. Um, she says, Frederick Douglass. Stop! <laughs> Why'd you do this? <laughs> um, uh, Frederick Douglass. She says Frederick Douglass could quote the Fugitive Slave Act better than her. And that's when she does an impression of Frederick Douglass. And she tells the audience not to tell him anything about it because she'll, he will chastise her uh, the next time they meet. <laughs> Um, but, uh, and she actually kind of sounds like Martin Luther King here. <laughs> yes, I mean, the way she is imitating, uh, imitating Mr. Douglas. Yeah. Um, she said, uh, a year after she escaped, this, this law changed everything. Um, so she started working, doing domestic work, and saving all the money that she could because mm-hmm. um, she had a purpose, and her purpose was to get her kin out of bondage. Mm-hmm. She, would, she said she would dust every, everything in the North if it meant she could get her family back. And when she uh, quotes uh, Mr. Douglas about the Fugitive Slave Act, also known as the Bloodhound Law, uh, she mm-hmm. says, uh, well, he says, your law makes your lawmakers from up high have commanded all good citizens to engage in the hellish sport. But the fugitive slave is but game. There isn't anywhere safe in these United States for the fugitive slave. The whole armory of northern law has no shield for you. In fact, the point of a sword is at your neck. So and that's when that's when she takes her fingers and and actually like takes them to the neck of one of the few black people in the crowd. Yeah. And it makes so, me think of uh, 12 years a slave because that was the whole thing with his narrative. Mm-hmm. He was a free man in the North. He got kidnapped and was sold into mm-hmm. slavery. So it didn't matter if you were free or not. If you were black and somebody wanted some money, you could be sold. Oh God. Oh, so I mean, what to like this show is always 
um, commenting on the way it was then, but has a way of making it relevant to what's going on now. So it connects the, the way they're present in very clear ways. Right. So when they're talking about the Fugitive Slave Act this way, um, I don't know. I was thinking about like the Muslim ban and um, all of these different executive orders that Cheeto had <laughs> is enacting that just don't make it safe for black and brown people in this country. Yeah, I thought about stop and frisk. That's true, too. Yeah, he's trying to make this a, a law and order administration, which means nothing but bad things for black and brown folks. tangent now. Yeah, you brought that up. Mm-hmm. So, he's making this a law and order administration. We have Jeff Sessions, who wasn't good enough for Coretta Scott King. If you ain't good enough for Coretta Scott King, you ain't good enough for me. Then they're also, uh, em- I don't know, empowering these private prisons, right? And so mm-hmm. what a lot of these private prisons do is have the prisoners work on on different items and various goods for different companies, pay them pennies, and I mean pennies, not an exaggeration, yep. to produce these items that you pay for, many dollars for, uh, because slavery is uh, only illegal outside of prison. It's legal if you're a prisoner. So we have that. And then we have this law and order administration. The school to prison, the pi- the, I'm sorry, the school to prison pipeline is very real and traceable. And yes. so it's just, I'm really frightened. <laughs> like, you know. And you know who's going to be feeding into that? Right. Black and brown people. Betsy DeVos. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, just from. The Ruta to the Tuta, we are fucked. Pretty much. It seems like it won't wouldn't be too long until more of us are de facto slaves because we're prisoners. Especially with the the whole thing with Jeff Sessions talking about uh you're a horrible person if you use weed. Uh, yeah. So and 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 stopping like all the reviews, the civil rights reviews of police uh Yeah. And oh, anyway, I can't to make it to make it easier for them to kill us, right? And to do you know, and to not have to face any punishment for whatever. Exactly. Um. So yeah, so we're royally screwed by a motherfucker we didn't even fucking vote for. Nope. nope. Somebody called it. Uh, he was elected by slavery math or slave owner math. Ooh. I mean, but that's Ooh. true. That's why we have the electoral college. Yeah, because cause the, the founding fathers did not trust the populace. Right. Oh, but you know what? That is a very good tangent, which is not really a tangent, because all of this is going to come up later, because this speech, while talking about um, abolitionism and foreshadowing um, the Civil War, Misha Green... Ha, ha, put some put some language in here that ties it, it back in today and I can't wait till we get to that but thank you for putting that for bringing this all up here because it's, it's all gonna tie in later on thank you um, so uh, um, 
So we talked about the Fugitive Slave Act, um, and uh, she was working as a domestic, um, uh, saving all of her money. Um, she she said she knew she'd need money and a plan, and a route to um, a route back to Maryland, and somewhere to hole up while she got word to her kin. Mm-hmm. So she Harriet climbs back on stage. She sits back down in her chair. And she says she developed a pattern. Work, plan, and then waiting on the dark months, which is December, January, and February. Right, because she says she has a purpose now. And it's to get her kid out of bondage by any means. And of course, my brain went necessary. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. Uh, what you know about this, Malcolm? Right. Uh, <laughs> um. So, um, so she's waiting on the dark months, December, January, and February, when it's so cold that most people will be in front in ho- in their house, in front of a fire, trying to stay warm, and it's easier for her to slip across state lines unseen. And uh, she also befriended uh, the black boatman at the boatyard so she could get news on what's going on on the eastern shore of Maryland. Mm -hmm. That's how she heard that her cousin was being auctioned. And uh, she managed to to help her cousin escape uh, to rescue her, um, even though she was 100 miles away in Baltimore. Because her cousin's uh, uh, husband was also a free man. Mm-hmm. So when her cousin and her children got up there, he bid on them. So he was able to buy them, essentially. And so you'll find this uh, in a few, lots of records where you'll find black people who owned slaves. Uh, that was because in some states, they didn't allow enslaved people to become free in those states, like in Virginia. Um, so you had to buy your family members. That's so, oh God, this is a sick system. Okay. Huh. Um, so, um, so she, so, uh, even though she was able to get her cousin out of bondage, she knew that she couldn't continue to pull strings from afar. She knew that she would have to go back. Because um, there's two things I got a right to. Death or liberty. One or the other I mean to have. No one will take me back alive. Ah! So, um, yeah, there's that was one of the times where I hooped and hollered. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, to... Uh, to the dismay of my neighbors, because I was watching this kind of late at night. Um, went uh, So Harriet went back to Maryland, um, and this time she was aiming to bring her husband back. Mm-hmm. That's when she found out that the dirt bag was shagging up with some other woman in her house. Mm-hmm. And he refused to come back with her. All this time, you've been a free man. You married this woman. You didn't get her free for whatever reason. She got her own self free. She came back 
into the South to brave all this terror to come and get you. And you in her house with another woman. Oh. Listen. She said she was hurt. She was angry. She was jealous. Hmm. But she was like, if he didn't want her, then she didn't need him. And she said that he dropped from her heart. Mm-hmm. She said that uh, she that God was telling her that she was thinking too small. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Ooh, that's a little, that's a little shady, guy." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. Well, I mean, hey. Right. I'm not mad. Scott, no. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. But then other people um, came up to her asking her from, for help out of slavery. And then she said she took 11 souls to Canada that trip. Mm-hmm. She's not fucking around leaving them, leaving them in Pennsylvania or anywhere in the U.S. Because the ground was shifting too much. It wasn't safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so then she said from there, from then on, she wasn't married to no one but the cause. I was like, all right, girl. Um, then um, she kept making more trips back down south. Um, she said she would sing Go Down Moses mm-hmm. um, around the slave quarters to announce the, uh, her presence and um, that it was time to Time to go. Yeah, and she starts. The people go. Yeah, she starts singing "Go Down Moses," and I was like, "Aisha can sing too." God damn! And everybody was what? on beat, despite the caucasity in the room. That's that's wild. That's wild. Um, yeah, because they they yeah, and at the end they started doing call and response. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I was wondering, like, did they do the whole song? Because <laughs> they did a lot of it, uh, and then um, I was like, uh, Harriet got this audience trained because I was um, doing it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, she says she finally on one of those trips, she finally got her family free, and then she says, "I didn't got what I wanted." But maybe it ain't what I need. Mm-hmm. She, she says that the work says she was traveling with her gun, not only to protect herself but to keep folks alive, so none of them could turn around like her brothers did. Yeah, she learned. She learned a lesson. Um, if you going, you gonna keep going. You <laughs> know, turning back. Uh, she looked into the crowd. She gave that cr- that crowd a look like, "I mean it. Don't don't mess with me." Mm-hmm. Um, she says um, that the work uh, that that her and a lot of the folks in the room are doing is important, but she's starting to believe, not know, believe that it ain't enough. And so we cut to black once again. Uh, when you come back, um, she's talking about Miss Susan's sister, Emily, and how um, Emily told Minty 
how to how to dust so that she wouldn't get beaten. Um, but like I said before, I noticed that uh, Emily didn't say shit to Susan. Nope. To stop beating this child, she didn't. She didn't help uh, Minty escape or anything like that. So, um, and I bet she thinks she's she, a good person. Yeah, yeah. She's, you know, she's a good ally. She probably thought she was a good little ally. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, yeah, uh, Harry's got some words for those folks too later. Um, um, then uh, uh, Harriet says that lately she can't sleep, and that when that on the rare occasions that she does, she doesn't dream of flying anymore. She says her feet are firmly planted on the ground. And she saw she talks about this weird vision that she had of a white man with a long beard and three heads. And then um, shortly after that, she met John Brown. Mm -hmm. And he was this old white man with a long beard. (laughs) And, And John starts talking about war. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is when the crowd starts arguing about John Brown. Right. Um, Harriet says he's a friend of the cause. Yeah, and somebody in the crowd says, oh, he's no friend. And then um, I think Lewis, is that his name? Yeah, a couple of white men interrupt her arguing about, you know, Brown's methods being too extreme. And I think Lewis, uh, Lewis may be one of them. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, Lewis is going to defend John Brown because, you know, that's his people's. Uh, then Elizabeth uh, said, she tells them all to stop and let Harriet speak. You know, we're here to hear Harriet speak. Let her speak. Right. Elizabeth and wins this episode. Good job, Elizabeth. I'll give her a point. I'll give her, I mean, um, I'll give her a point. She she came there to listen. She listened. Other people stood up and started arguing. She said, shut up. We're here to mm-hmm. listen. Mm-hmm. Like, Good job, Elizabeth. And, Good job. And, yeah, and I'm glad that the script didn't let her ruin that by saying anything else the rest of this episode. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, script. <laughs> Because anything else, and she would have flipped me right back into um, <laughs> being annoyed with her. Uh, so Harriet continues talking. Um, she says uh, she was confused by this white man. Um, she didn't know what to make of him. He's never been through slavery. Um, man, what kind of know, white man is really going to his blood for black folks' freedom? Mm-hmm. But then she... She found out that his son had died fighting for the cause in Kansas. Um, and she says she only knows of two other pe- people that would let their sons die for um, a cause. And that's Abraham and um, basically God mm-hmm. that would sacrifice their sons. Um so uh, she says John Brown talked about the conspiracy of the slave power and he shared Harriet's disdain for abolitionists 
who don't take direct action hmm. against slave power. Hmm. Listen, <laughs> if, this ain't, if this ain't these ineffectual white liberals oh, out here today. Yes. Thank you. If that ain't a read on these Democrats in Congress that are just laying down and letting the GOP do everything they want, mm. whether it's constitutional or not, I don't know what is. And this is why I'm, this is where this script has dual purposes. She's Harriet speaking um, about abolitionists in the 1800s, mm. um, but in this script. Misha Misha Green is also talking about uh, white allies today. Yes. Uh, This is brilliant work. Um, So so, uh, they both have disdain for abolitionists who don't take direct action against this conspiracy of slave power. Um, uh, she says that John Brown spoke about war like a prayer. Mm. She says, because ain't prayer just a plea, a hope, a desire to believe there's something better on the other side of it? Mm-hmm. Interesting way to look, look at it. Um, now, the wars that Cheeto Head is trying to start right now, I don't know what they are. It ain't this, though. Um, but the Civil War, in the eyes of abolitionists, in the eyes of former slaves, and um, and those who want to be free, I can see it as a as a it is a plea. It's a desire to believe that after this war, something will something better will be on the other side of it. Right. Huh. We get to be human. Yeah. Five-fifths human instead of three. Right. Um, <laughs> Harriet goes on to say, slavery ain't just a sin. It's a state of war. Mm-hmm. She says, profiting off of raping and killing the bodies of others. Those are all acts of war. Ooh, I'm like, oh, it's good. She dropped so many bombs. She has so many words to give in this speech. It was just, oh God, it's so good. She is preaching. She really is. Um, uh, and she says, she says uh, this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> we ain't been calling it that. She was saying slavery uh, ain't just a sentence of war, as you're saying. She says, we ain't been calling it that because it's a nationwide conspiracy. Slave owners pass it on to their sons and daughters, strengthen it through their government, and work hard to make it seem normal to justify it through religion. Ah, this is when this was uh, this was when I was doing the the church hands because <laughs> she is preaching. She is. She's talking about systems. You talking about how the system is set up to support yes. this. She's talking about the social system to make it look normal, the family system passing it down, the government strengthening it through the laws. So yeah, yeah. Please keep keep preaching. And and I'll be damned if 
Cheeto Head and his administration ain't doing that today to to install fascism Mm -hmm. in American government to make fascism normal and compliance in this country. Yes. So so again, parallels to today. Because I I know you you another tangents I will but um (laughs) the whole uh incident with the man on the plane mm-hmm. and uh, uh, how he was dragged off the plane and his face was all bloodied and like you can tell he was he was traumatized and uh, there were so many people I saw saying well if he had just been compliant this wouldn't be a problem none of this would be happening and it just reminds me as well of all the speeches given to black and brown kids about how to deal with officers. Yeah. And, you know, this this compliance, hello, obviously not working. Like, no. otherwise it would never happen. Philando Castile was not doing anything, anything, quote unquote, wrong. He still got shot. Tamir Rice wasn't doing anything wrong. He wasn't even given the opportunity to comply. So yeah, to make it seem normal. So um, Harriet says, I don't intend to die for the cause. She says, I want to live a long and full life. Oh yeah, she uh, yeah she says, I don't intend to die for the cause. I will. I wrote that in all caps. <laughs> mm hmm. But she really wants to live a long and full life. She says, violence with no cause is brutality. Mm-hmm. So it's not this peaceful, everybody hold hands, you know, Pepsi, Pepsi. everybody have a Pepsi. Like if we just love each other enough, no. And and we know that that is true. Violence with no cause is brutality because all of the stories that she's already told about her life in bondage prove that violence with no cause is brutality. There was no cause for these women to, to beat this child, childhood, childhood Harriet with rawhide mm-hmm. but they did it because the nature of slavery especially in the American South was just mm-hmm. unchecked brutality mm-hmm. and she says in reference to violence without any cause of brutality she says that's the way of the slaveholder mm-hmm. but beating back against those that will kill you. That's hope. That's prayer. That's believing you will live a long and full life. Resi- and, and that amounts to resistance by any means today. Mm-hmm. It, it To me, that translates to punching Nazis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
I told I told Inda when we were watching this, he's like, I was like, punching the Nazi a day keeps oppression away. <laughs> Listen, put it on a t-shirt. Can we please get that up on Teespring right now? <laughs> girl, girl, you know I might. Yeah, um, I am. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, Harriet says that uh, she doesn't want to go to war, but it's where we be. Mm-hmm. And then they cut to black again. So um, that gives you, a, they give you a second, uh, a few seconds to think about that. She, you know, she doesn't really want to go to war, but that's where we're ending up now. Um, we're already here. Slavery is a state of war. True. Um, when, uh, coming back, um, she says all the work she's done, she knows that it's important, but it ain't enough. Mm -hmm. She knows that she's changing lives, but the world ain't changing. She says that, um, we call ourselves abolitionists, but we ain't abolished nothing. (laughs) Yes. She says, um, and this is when you, uh, you think back to the, the the argument in the crowd before. Uh, she says, we arguing over methods, and that overshadows the purpose. Yes. She's like, while we bicker, the enemy takes more ground. And that's, that's that was true then, that's true today. Mm-hmm. Um. We 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 arguing with people on Twitter over about tone. Meanwhile, this fool is dropping bombs on more countries. Okay, and and North Korea is trying to uh, test weapons. And oh god, oh god. Anyway, um, I'm packing my spaceship. Listen. <laughs> There's three exoplanets that are a bit, uh, that 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 human life can live in. We all need to do some work to spruce up the place, but there's water <laughs> and air. We can make um, a black girl planet happen. Listen, okay, planet Beyonce, let's go. Um. <laughs> um uh, Harriet says, uh, we may think that the work is en- enough because we're free. But again, there's no negotiation on slavery. Because a country built on bodies will always need more for the slaughter. Mm. And that's when we have to go back to what you said about the the school to prison pipeline and the prison industrial complex. This country may have abolished slavery, but they're continuing it. And just they just they just changed the the wrapping on it. Yep. They just changed the packaging. Mm-hmm. I would suggest everybody go watch the thirteenth documentary on Netflix. Amen. Um, a country built on bodies will always need more for the slaughter. And um, she says, "Action stands. None of us are free." Say that one more time, please. As long as slavery stands, none of us are free. 
Yes. And that action and inaction change the course of things. And Harriet aims to continue to act. Mm. She sees she sees war as the only path left for her to travel right now. And then to the last two most awesome minutes ever. Yes. This is when Harriet stares straight at the audience. Well, not yet. Or in this well, case, opening, she stares straight at the camera. Right. Opening on this scene, the light has changed. So uh, previously, the light has been kind of blue. Uh, but now it's a golden color. Uh, like she's been speaking all day and it's like maybe noon. And she's starting in the morning. Mm-hmm. And the whole scene, you start from looking from very high up from a bird's eye view and then you move through the audience very slowly until you get up on stage with her until you're facing her directly. And she's speaking to the audience for most of this time, looking back and forth as you do uh, until the very last few minutes where she looks directly into the camera. Yep. Because she about to hit you with this heat. Ooh. This straight fire. fire. Okay. So she says, if Captain Brown's prayer ain't yours, and you ain't got what it takes to take up arms against injustice, then you got to pray another prayer. And you got to you gotta be steadfast in your convi- convictions, too. She says, you got to figure out, you know, what you want to be. What it means for you. You know, you got to be a... Right. What? Yes. You got to be a soldier beating back all of those who kill everything good and right in the world and call it making it great again. Ah! I was in Starbucks like, what? <laughs> I straight up screamed like, bitch! <laughs> had to run it back i was like what did you just say i know i was like wait a minute what (laughs) i was like bitch they went there misha misha they went there this is part this is part of what i mean when i said it's uh uh it's like time traveling because you you, the whole time it's like you feel like i'm really watching harriet tubman right she's doing such a great job and then stares at the camera and brings it right back to you Right? We're talking about today. Right, right back to us in 20 goddamn 17. Mm-hmm. Oh my oh goodness. Mm. She says we can't afford to be just citizens in a time of war. That'd be surrender. That'd be giving up our future and our soul. Ain't nobody get to sit this one out. You hear me? Boom. That's the end of the fucking episode. so good. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. This is when me and Enda were just screaming for like five minutes. (laughs) Like, like, bitch, what did I just see? What did we just see? What did we just watch? And then we had to run back the the making it great again. Yeah. Because like, she really said that. 
she you went really there. said that and it wasn't there wasn't like any kind of caveat to it you know this is this is exactly what you think it is exactly i'm looking straight at you i'm looking straight at you you know what the fuck i mean right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh so awesome so fucking good. A lot of times when I watch uh, whatever it is I'm watching on my computer, I'll like make little clips and post them somewhere and commenting on stuff or whatever. And so this came up, and I didn't even really get to the end of the thing before I was like, I gotta get this. Yeah. So, and since I was in Starbucks, I couldn't really get the audio, but I had my closed captions up, so it was just like a silent video uh, of this this part of the the show. It was oh, so good so fucking good and I just in this past couple of weeks we've had several instances of people in pop culture talking down to black women Mm -hmm. or erasing the contributions of black women Mm, um, um, uh, Kendrick, mm. John Ridley, Catherine Bigelow, oh. all of these people who want to just either tell us how to live our lives or just try to erase us from movements that we were at the heart of that we basically powered with our energy and our labor. But but Misha Green sees fit to give us a full hour of this black woman tell it who who led a movement just sharing her wisdom. And we get to listen to her. We get to listen to this black woman for a full hour. I just thought that was amazing. This was just when nobody else has got us, um, Misha has got us. Go. Okay, so just this this episode was probably the best episode of Underground uh, so far, seasons one and two. It was just the the performance was masterful. Uh, I know I saw a little bit of the uh, making of they had after the credits where he taught where the director talked about how he was crying all day (laughs) (sighs) because he was so inspired by Aisha's performance, which how can you not be? It was just phenomenal. I I read articles saying that um, uh she had gotten half of the script maybe 10 days before shooting. She got the other half seven days before. In total, there were 47 pages that she had to learn. Ooh. And she didn't, she wasn't sure if she could keep, keep that much, uh, keep that much, that many pages mm-hmm. in her head. And she, she, she thought she was going to have a safety net by, having this earpiece in her ear um, and Misha was going to be off stage reading, you know, feeding her lines when she needed them. 
But then on the day of shooting, um, she noticed that there was the, this static from the earpiece whenever Misha wasn't speaking. And she just couldn't, she just couldn't work like that because she was already nervous as hell. She had got she had gotten sick beforehand before shooting and she was just she was just really really wanting to get this right. So so um she takes out the earpiece but she managed to remember all of those pages. That's amazing. And I think um uh, the the director directed um, the first the first run through, you know, just in case. And uh, oh wow, she was just she was just amazing. She's uh, wow, wow. Yeah, she yeah. just oh man, like. Like in Enda was saying, you know, I feel like I feel like we're really seeing Harriet. For, like this yes. ain't this ain't just Aisha anymore. No. Like <laughs> she, she she was a medium. She embodied her. Her spirit came through. Like that's what I said. I said Harriet jumped into um uh, Aisha's body right quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. And this is like, this is what I've been waiting for uh, in a more general way. Because, you know, a lot of people are always saying how tired they are of slave narratives. um, How they feel like it's the only uh, kind of work that we get any kind of recognition or prestige for. Is when it's all about our suffering and pain. Um, And I always said, I'm not necessarily tired of of slave narratives because that was a real thing that happened when I'm tired of is the same story being told. And I had been saying like, why haven't we seen Harriet Tubman on screen? And now we are. And Aisha gets to be that first one. And it's, it's iconic. It's going to be iconic. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And I mean, we've got other Harriet Tubman, um, stories in the works uh viola davis has one in development um and i think cynthia arrivo is going to be playing harriet in another project like but i be by aisha beat them both yeah unless they're gonna have harriet tubman singing (laughs) because cynthia's voice well yeah and angelic well i mean i mean she beat them both to be first right Um, right like I mean, they haven't filmed the other projects, so we can't say, you know, who who can't really compare them right now. We just all we know is that Aisha's first, and right now she's knocking it out of the park. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that underground um, gives us a different viewpoint. Um, of slavery like we're actually really with these enslaved folks we're looking at it from their point of view we're not we're not looking for uh, any white savior there's not a white gaze on this project Um, 
and it's never been torture porn. There have been some scenes of violence, yes, but it hasn't been um, to the extent that you would see in like a 12 Years a Slave or a Roots or something like that. Or, um, you know what I mean? Like, it hasn't been constant torture and abuse week in and week out. And um, and now we get to sit and listen to this, this black American woman who is a hero. And we just get to listen to her for a whole hour. And you get to watch it again if you were just if you just kept the channel on WGN all Wednesday night. Um, amazing. So, where other people are trying to um, act like we didn't contribute to um, liberation movements, um, underground is like nah. Black women, we out here. Right. <laughs> you got to listen to us. Mm-hmm. You got to listen to black women. And you got to do it for a full damn hour. <laughs> and you going to love it. Right. <laughs> you say nothing but the truth. Oh, my God. This was so good. This was so groundbreaking. I love this show. It's awesome. I I don't know what else to say. Like between this and episode three, um, Ache, like those are my two favorite episodes of this entire series. It's so good. Oh, God. Ah, so black people call <gasps> black stories. Mm. Yes, yes. Say it again. Say it again. Black people telling black stories on the screen and behind the camera. Yeah. This, this is real inclusiveness. This is, this is what works. Oh God. Okay. So let's, um, before we just lose it and start just gushing incoherently, um, we're going to end the show. Um, thank you for listening to Missives from the Underground. Uh, I've been Dee Dee, also known as Dust Daughter on Twitter. I've uh, been joined by uh, Maria, also known as under, at underscore Roxy underscore on Twitter. Uh, you can also reach us at Black Girl Squee on Twitter. And... Uh, on gmail at blackgirlsquee at gmail.com so please uh, write in let us know what you think of the episode of underground the season so far let us know what you think of the podcast yeah, and uh, you guys um and until next time bye bye go down <laughs> Moses way down in Egypt land tell old Pharaoh let my people go <laughs>